Hello, friends. Passing Dimes is over the moon to announce our new partnership with BetStamp. BetStamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Say you're like me and you find it more engaging to put $20 down on your favorite team. With BetStamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one spot. Go to the App Store today and download BetStamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For more information or to learn more about BetStamp education sessions where you can get an edge in online sports betting, message Passing Dimes on Instagram or Facebook accounts. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Probably took a little too long to get him on the show, but happy he's here now. So today's guest is a two-time ACAC conference champion. He's got a national bronze. He's got a national championship before Mount Royal joined U Sports. He's also coached at Team Alberta, Volleyball Canada programs. And as I mentioned, he's off to a hot start with the Mount Royal University Cougars playing in U Sports. Please welcome to the show, Sean Sky. Sean, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. So in doing some research for the show, obviously you, you've made coaching your career and that's a long time, but you're one of those small town Alberta guys. So I got to ask before volleyball was your thing, were you one of those guys who could just play every sport? Like, it seems like Alberta's got some great communities there. I'm wondering, did you have a really good relationship with sports growing up? And that's what made you want to pursue coaching? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in a little town in Northern Alberta, called Fairview. There was 3000 people there. Um, the difference between our volleyball team and our basketball team was pretty much 12 guys ran home and got different shoes, <laughs> right? Is, is very much, you played hockey, you did everything. And, and then it's, I don't know if there's maybe something in the water up there or whatnot. Um, but Rod, Rod Durance from Grand Prairie, which is an hour away. Keith Hansen, um, is from, uh, Grimshaw, which is like 45 minutes away. Calvin Aubin is is also from Grimshaw so so you have um some some exceptional exceptional coaches from from up in that area and, and I, I would actually say it probably goes to to a multi-sport background right where you just played whatever was in season and you were thrilled to do it and and you probably uh wore some of those wins and losses a lot more and a lot longer because especially again I, I love growing up there but um there really wasn't a whole lot other to, other to do than than sport. I mean, other, other than get yourself in trouble. And so you had that game on Friday night. That, that was probably by far the biggest thing you were doing for that weekend. So, so yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely meant a lot. So, uh, mutual friend uh, Shane White, when we had him on the show, I think he tried to sort out when he had a level three coach or higher. And he thinks even in like junior high school, he would have had somebody who was like following certification and passionate about coaching. So you just mentioned some of your coaches. Why do you think Alberta as a community has so many qualified coaches coaching at every level? It feels like. Great question. I don't know if I have a definitive answer for it. Um, there's a real passion. There's a real attachment to sport. Um, there, there, there's a commitment. I mean, in, in everybody I just, just mentioned there. And I mean, on the women's side, Lee Carter, and then, I mean, somebody that was massive uh, in my life, Ron Thompson, um, at Grand Prairie College. All of all of them um, educators, right? And 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 committed committed to that. So, and 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 most of them still are in, in some capacity. So, and, and I think I think it is that. And then, and then I, again, I come back to I, I think it's the whole idea of, of you play so many different sports in such an exceptional way to to blend and, and bring in concepts. 
And, and, and I, I think that that also definitely helps in terms of a coaching background. You, uh, anytime you have a, a chance to talk with somebody like Lee Carter, for instance, he's constantly bringing in other concepts and analogies from other sport and, and just is a fantastic educator. So with you growing up in a smaller community, uh, did you play club volleyball? And if so, how far was the commute once you got a little bit older? Like, did you have to travel to start pursuing sport at a higher level? Yeah, no, I, I was probably one of the first from, from my community. And so I would make the drive over to Grand Prairie. And, and so, so it was hour, hour and a half in the winter and whatnot for, for practices and was thrilled to just simply have the opportunity. Um, had a phenomenal club coach, Todd Best, who did just a, such an exceptional job, um, teaching the game. And, and I mean, there's, there's again, a wealth, a wealth of coaches up there. A fantastic high school, uh, coach, Dave Johnson, um, taught so many. Um, quality, quality Alberta guys, and and uh, yeah, those Grand Prix teams, um, especially in, in in that era, um, I was just fortunate and happy to, to be on them and playing with such a fantastic group. Now, U Sports did an article on you that I recommend any of our listeners go read because it is a really well written. But uh, pulling some information from there, I understood you took a coaching course from Lee Goldie when you were quite young. So when you were still an athlete, what made you want to start pursuing coaching as maybe something you were passionate about, or even you were going to pursue as a career? Because I think you were correct me if I'm wrong, like 19 when you started pursuing coaching seriously. I I was 19 when I coached my first team, and let's just say that there was a most likely a, a long list of, of areas I need to improve on in doing it. And, but, but yeah, I've always been passionate about it. And especially as, as you go up levels, especially if you have proper self-awareness, um, I think, I think I was probably smart enough to be on the floor, but I certainly wasn't going to win any kind of a physicality contest out there. And, and so, so I think a lot of that is, is, is figuring that aspect out. And then, Something I've always been drawn to is, is just the concept of team building and how team chemistry works and how teams fit together and what, what makes them work. And um, I've always just been passionate in game of sport. I'm, I'm, I'll probably sit down and get excited about watching it, especially if it's at a high level. Now, you yeah. and I were... Uh, sorry, team ahead. with Lee. Yeah. Uh, you and I were talking before the show just about how young you were when you and Shane got an opportunity to work with Team Alberta. You were basically kids coaching kids, right? So how helpful is it at a young age where not only you get an opportunity to coach at a high level, so I'm sure the learning is accelerated, but when your friend group, because I don't think people realize this, when you coach a program like Team Ontario, Team Alberta, you're in the gym all day, but when you go to dinner, you're still talking about volleyball. When the kids go to bed, you're probably staying up talking about volleyball for the next day, right? So how helpful is that for your your passion, your development, just having a, a circle of friends and these opportunities to coach more? Huge. I mean, and so when, when I think when I first coached provincial team, Team Alberta, I was either 21 or 22. Um, I actually applied at the time just to be an assistant coach and probably was, was honestly fortunate that I don't think they had um, maybe that year an exceptionally strong um, list of candidates. And so they took a chance on me. And then when you're 21, 22, um, everybody has an ego. And, but at the same time, you, you definitely want some reassurance. So, so it makes sense to, to go to your friends and, 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 and Shane is, is, is always, always been one, always will be one. And so reached out to him and he goes, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll coach with you. And so then literally you had two 21, 22 year olds coaching together. Um, I, I think the even bigger part of it is, is the mentorship you have involved. And, and that's also where, 
where Alberta is is so fortunate. And actually, um, I'm not sure if you read uh, much of Malcolm Gladwell and, and his book Outliers. And there probably is uh, a bit of a volleyball Alberta outlier uh, with the Jasper Volleyball Camp, where a lot of people have, have coached over the years. And, and looking back, um, one of the years I was there, it's, it's pretty interesting to see and think where and none of us were in the positions we were or are at the time. Um, but the one year coaching provincial team, you're talking, or sorry, coaching at Jasper Volleyball Camp, and you're talking about just talking volleyball 24 seven. Um, while all of us were, when you coach, when you coach at Jasper, you are, as coaches, you just stay essentially on mats or bunks in, in the high school, all in a room together. And so in the one room, there was Shane, myself, Dale Johns from U of A, um, Dan Oda, before he was out in Dalhousie, Lee Carter, Rod Durant, before U of C, and I apologize, I'm probably missing a couple more. But that was just like, and, and that was just our bunk area. And so you would coach all day and, and, and you would spend almost, you know, two weeks talking nonstop volleyball. And so then through that, you form even more connections. And, and if you're fortunate, you have exceptional mentors. And I've been incredibly fortunate to have some, some exceptional ones. And again, doing some research for the show, uh, you pursued teaching first, but I'm wondering in the back of your mind, was that going to be more practical for you? That was going to be a, a typical career path, but was something that drew you to teaching was the idea that you could coach and you could still be around athletes. And it was kind of built into the job as like a one, a thing that you were going to get to coach. Or, uh, I'm curious, did you not think coaching full-time was a, as a, a pursuable career at that time? Well, at that time, coaching full-time wasn't a pursuable career for sure. For sure. And I, but I've always been passionate about, about education. And so, so I always think of myself, yes, for sure. I'm a full-time coach now. I've always thought about myself as an educator. And I don't want to sound cliche, but um, volleyball is just a subject. It's a fantastic subject, but, but it's just a subject, right? And it has so much more to do with the person and the human being. And, and so honestly, I mean, if education, I've always had an interest in it. And my first degree was a business degree. And, I, and what, I, what I knew at the end of my business degree is I didn't want to race off and do cold calling and marketing. So, so what I did is I did an after degree in education. I really enjoyed it. During that time, I, I got more serious about coaching club and had the opportunity to coach with NABC and, and, and had a real um, interest, fantastic experience, incredible people. And, and of course, what also helps propel people is, is success. And, and, and so then you start looking at, all right, where could this potentially go? And, and, I, and I, love, I love teaching. But now also, how do you take it to, to a higher level? And once again, this article is just fantastic. Whoever wrote this did a really good job. I'm interested uh, because you pursued coaching and you also are an educator. I think typically coaches coach how they were coached, but I'm interested in looking at the article, like you were studying other coaches and it's, it looks, sounds like you're a fan of, of John Wood and Greg Popovich. So what made you want to take coaching seriously and figure out how people learn? Was that maybe your teaching background that you just weren't going to say, Oh, this is a drill I stole from Jasper volleyball camp and you know, uh, Durant loves it. So I love it. Or, or where did you start to learn about like, okay, this is how people learn, or this is appealing, or that might work for Terry at U of A, but I'm coaching a junior boys high school team and they can't do it. Like when did you start stacking? layers and trying to figure out like your own style and, and how to like almost learn more about the learner even. 
Sure, sure. Well, I, I mean, there's the, there's the old adage that to, uh, to be a good coach needs to be a good team, right? And so, so you're constantly doing that and, and, and looking what others do. And sometimes even when you're watching them, um, even if you disagree with it, it becomes a great learning opportunity because then you start figuring, figuring out and calculating how you would do it. Um, but I mean, I, I think for sure we start, at least I personally started coaching the way I was coached, right? Um, and, and, and at the same time had, had a fortune to have a lot of strong coaches around me. Uh, Ron Thompson, um, phenomenal coach, phenomenal coach. Um, I was fortunate enough to play for him for two years at Grand Prairie College. And I mean, you want to talk about somebody that's just technically amazing and passionate. And, and it took a lot from that. And, and then, then as, as you are formulating, you start to find, you start researching. Of course, there's not a lot of books out there in terms of here's how to coach. And so, so then you start, start reading in terms of interest and whatnot. I wish Greg Popovich would, would do a book. I mean, I don't think he ever will. Uh, but my, my goodness, I would certainly, you know, be first in line to read, read that. But no, everything from, you know, I mean, I enjoy the NFL. I enjoy football. So I'll tend to read a lot there. Um, Bill Jackson's books been fantastic. Books on Steve Kerr, you name it. And, and you just start drawing and pulling. And, and even some of the stuff, you, like I said, you, you disagree with. Well, that, that even causes you pause to try and figure out, okay, well, if I disagree with it, how would I do it? And, and I think somebody's coaching philosophy um, is ever evolving. Somebody's education philosophy is ever evolving. If if I was still coaching the way I, way I was when I started Mount Royal, um, I wouldn't be coaching at Mount Royal anymore. Right? You 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 have to you have to evolve. Um, you have to be constantly uh, almost consumed with remaining current in some way. And and then at the same time, you know you you, you need to stay true to to your core principles. And I don't I don't think necessarily those evolve, but. Uh, but you definitely have to. Yeah, just to give our, our listeners one example here. Uh, in 18U, I believe one year, you played a one middle system. And I'm curious, how did you talk yourself into having the personnel to do that? Because I think at the 18U level, you're so tempted to be like, well, some of them are going to go play post-secondary, so I should do a 5-1, or this is what so-and-so does, or this is just how I was taught. Where, yeah, it sounds like you had two setters, one middle, and a bunch of outside hitters. So how did you convince yourself that was going to be the, the best chance for your squad to compete and then get over the idea of that every gym you go into, people are going to be like, what is Sean doing over there? I, I think that's the beauty of sport is, is, is I don't believe in you take a system and you fit your athletes to the system. I, I think what you're constantly looking at is, 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 is you look at the group of individuals you have and both, yes, from, from a physicality standpoint, from a positional standpoint, but also from a personality standpoint. And, 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 and then you need to, to get creative with it. And, and so, yeah, that, that system and that group, um, tremendous crew. We, uh, we certainly weren't the most physical crew. And it was a means of, okay, well, how do we get our best athletes on the floor? And, and, and I mean, and, you know, that, that certainly is, gosh, a few years back because, um, Brock David up was, was U17 that year with that team. So we're, we're talking, we're talking just, you know, just one or two years back. Um, but yeah, we, we actually ran a 6-2. Uh, we really only had one middle. Um, not, 
not the, the one we we had it's not fair to say we had more middles but in terms of we had two setters that were for sure needed to be on the floor we had one middle that for sure needed to be on the floor and we had three fantastic outsides and and, and all of them could pass and so then you start getting creative with with how you do that and one of the things that we we spent some time on and, and, and could afford to because our ball control was so good, we actually had our uh, our setters essentially fill the other middle position. And so from a developmental standpoint, um, be a good question to ask Brock now for sure, but from a developmental standpoint, that I actually thought it was really good where he was actually having to to block as a middle for two of those three rotations. Through the, through the front row. And, and again, I mean, no, that's not going to be long-term, but if you all of a sudden as a setter, and if you now start having to think the game as a middle, then, then even in that system, I, I don't think you're, you're stifling anybody developing it at all. In fact, I think that uh, when you think outside the box, there's opportunity. Nice. Nice. And just to follow your timeline, uh, timeline around here, excuse me. Uh, you're a U of A guy, so you know, the Edmonton area and that McEwen job becomes available. Uh, how excited were you to coach at the post-secondary level? Like, did you get your resume in right away? Was that like a job that you, you really were looking forward to? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was always looking at it and, and to me, Especially our first job, you're going to be eager for anything. I, I was actually at that point. I was uh, when it became available. I was actually in the states uh, doing my master's in sports psychology, and so I was I was down at the University of Idaho at that point doing it. I, I had again was was fortunate to to coach Brock through club, and so did two years of U uh, eighteen volleyball. We were fortunate enough to to win the national championship both those years. And, and then went on and pursued my master's after. And about a year, year and a half later, I think that's when that became available. So definitely um, put my application in for it and was, was fortunate enough to, to get picked. And I mean, at the same time, I mean, that's, especially if anybody's looking to, to pursue something like that, like you're super excited for, for an opportunity like that. And, and of course, I think what most young coaches quickly learn or what should probably what need to learn is that when you actually get into coaching at that level, the coaching part of it is maybe 25% of the job. When you, because when you actually start, like, I mean, the on-court stuff, which we all love to do, I think that's, that's something that a lot of young coaches need to understand is, and wrap your head around is, 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 is that that time on the court is about 25% because of the recruiting, the planning, administration, the, fun, uh, the fundraising. And even then, when I was at, at McEwen, and going wrong, thrilled to have it. Um, I was I was teaching, um, you know, teaching in high school. I, th- I think I think what I decided to do in order in order to try and have a go at it, uh, rather than going back as a full time teacher, I came back for my masters, and and I got on the sub list. And I think I think my very first uh, contract at McEwen was I think it was like a seven thousand dollar honorary to essentially try and coach that program full time. So. Now, obviously you've coached successful club teams at that time, but for anyone who is a fan of the CCAA knows that uh, Mount Royal, Red Deer, Sate, like there was some big teams just in your own conference, let alone start talking about a national championship, right? So I like how you mentioned the off-court stuff, but I'm curious, what was some other learning you had just by competing at that level with a school like McEwen? Because you're kind of new to that conference. And again, I'm looking at who was winning nationals at that time. And it seems like an Alberta team was in the final every year. Yeah. Yeah. No, 
Um, and yeah, I was only at McEwen for the two years, but but it, it was it was a fantastic learning opportunity. Um, you know, there's 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 no two ways around it. Keith, Keith Hansen was at Red Deer, and and just exceptional programs, exceptional coach. Um, Keith actually is the reason why I was down at the University of Idaho for for my master's in sports psychology when I was when I was looking at uh, something like that to pursue. Um, I got in contact with him. It's actually where he did his master's as well. So, so he was actually the one that helped uh, connect me to go down there. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, a couple of years later, I was back um, coaching a program against his. And any, anytime you're doing something like that, um, tremendous learning opportunity, right? It can be really humbling for sure, where, where you're constantly looking and you're constantly looking in terms of how other people do things, what, uh, what's successful. You, you have to do a study on, on your own institution, what works within it. But then you're constantly asking questions and trying to figure out what works with other institutions and, and especially if they're willing to talk or you just start start doing your own research on it in terms of how you can make make your school, your program stronger. And and comparison is a huge is a huge thing. And when that Mount Royal position became available, um was that just an opportunity to also teach at the school or maybe it was more of a serious coaching role and it wasn't uh, maybe the honorarium you started with the McEwen, but what made you want to apply to that job and, and switch cities and move to the Calgary area? That, that was a big part of it. Um, it was, it was an opportunity where that was a full-time coaching position. And, and, and funny as it is the same, um, there was another position actually at that time that was still, was also open. So I actually applied for both of them. So I applied at Mount Royal when I, and that was um, as a professor and as, as, as the coach there. And then the other position actually that, uh, that I was supposed to interview for um, was actually the University of Toronto position. And I believe, I believe that I ended up and rightfully so going to, uh, to Jeff Chung, but, and yes, I'm pretty sure. And, um, and at the same time, the Mount Royal position I got offered that before the, before even that interview. And whatnot, not that I thought it would have been, you know, successful as 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 he would have been there. Um, and so so yeah, I mean, it was it's a chance to make it full time, especially because at the time for two years there, um, while you know, I was enjoying coaching at McEwen, I was also a substitute teacher all over Edmonton. So I would be you name it somewhere in Edmonton, racing to try and make a four thirty practice to to then coach a team. Whereas this here was this opportunity to, to again, I mean, I've always been passionate about being an educator. So then be able to teach and coach at the same institution was, was just an amazing opportunity. Now, when you first get the gig, they are still in the ACAC. So before we, we talk about the switch to U Sports, can you just sum it up for me and the listeners uh, a different era? Like our era... Um, it wasn't unusual to play college and then go to university. And when I say that, uh, Davidock did it, Blankano did it, uh, Duraco did it. I think even Gavin Smith played a year of college before going, uh, talking to you before the show, I think Kent Greaves played college before going to university where it wasn't uncommon where now, for lack of a better term, uh, athletes are, are willing to go to university and maybe rot on the bench for two or three years where it seemed like there was an era there of anyone born you know, 80s to early 90s, they wanted to play right away. So they went to college for a year or two, competed, and then would switch to university afterwards. So why do you think that trend was so popular? And why do you think maybe it ended? Great, great question. It was, it was really popular. It was also the norm, right? And, and I think it's important to, to create a distinction too, especially with, with some listeners out east and whatnot. Um, 
the majority of Alberta and BC politicians have, have direct transfer routes to the universities, right? Which, which is probably an important distinction to make where we're a majority of, of colleges in Alberta, you can go take your, your you can, especially then, you go take one, two, potentially three years um, at, that, at that college and it, you could transfer fully to a university. And then, and then that's a concept that I wish everybody would understand um, is when you do transfer, not like there's an asterisk attached to, to your university degree that said, hey, spent you know, the first two years at such and such college, right? And, and so there is, unfortunately, I think now there is a stigma for sure attached there. And, and I wish there wasn't. And at the same time, quite frankly, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my two years at Grand Prairie College. I mean, I wish my University of Alberta degree actually had a distinction on there saying, hey, spent his first two years at Grand Prairie College. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of alumni. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was the norm. That was, and, and that was, again, the, the developmental model, if you will. Um, overwhelming majority of, of students, year one or, or first two years go and play. And so, so yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly tough week. And, and, and yeah, and there is, is a number that are highly, um, successful. And, and quite frankly, I think there's, there still is that avenue where, where, I mean, and, and it's something that I'm still a believer in. We have probably, I think over the last five years, we probably averaged three to four of our starters actually come from, from CCAA. I actually think that, uh, that there, there still is a path there that can be developed. And, 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 and I, I, I certainly hope that we actually have more of a return to that. That would be my, something that I would love to see is I would love to still see um, high school athletes strongly considering spending their first year, their first two years at a CCAA school. And, and to me, it's it's just a simple case of, of opportunity. You only have five years of eligibility. And and it's it's a pheno- phenomenal game. And and even, even if it's not at Mount Royal, I hope we have just more and more people playing it. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not thrilled with the concept of, of waiting your turn. And, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a proponent of, of large roster size for that. And so how and why has that happened? Um, you know, and in all honesty, probably, probably one of the, one of the things would be some of the CCAA schools that have moved on, on, on to university. You can make a fair argument. Mount Royal moving on. Um, UBCO moving on, right? McHugh and moving on, that, that definitely has, has, has created, um, now that's, we're talking over a decade ago, but, but that did uh, impact things in, in, in the world of, of supply and demand in terms of how, how people are going to react. And I say there's probably two things where this occurred is, is you had all of a sudden more competition or to, to fill the university rosters. And so the reaction of, of some schools was, has been, continues to be to take a far bigger roster. Right. And, and then, and then one of the counters to it that, uh, that definitely impacted things is, is the CCAA has, um, their international rules that allow three on the roster. And, um, and so, and, and I get that. I mean, if, if all of a sudden you don't have the, the same Canadian student athletes that, that you were getting, all right, well now how do we feel the competitive team? 
And so they increase the internationals, which are, of course, far more uh, prevalent playing in Canada now, to three. But what that also did is, is whether they knew it or not, is also has created a bit of a bottleneck in the sense of, because in youth sports in Canada West, you, you only have, our rule is you only have two internationals. So there's actually, you know, quite a number of internationals playing CCAA volleyball, and there isn't necessarily room there. So, so what that then happens, what happens is you have, you have more internationals that are staying for the full four or five years on a CCAA roster, and there might not be the same opportunity for, for first years to get on the floor now. Then you add attitude. There, there's some institutions for sure that if uh, somebody actually doesn't have a good experience in Canada West or is academically ineligible, then what they also will do is, is they'll typically gravitate or they'll transfer to a CCAA school. So if, if you all of a sudden have now a number of older guys that either are internationals or you have a number of older guys that were playing in Canada West and now aren't, then the dynamic of CCAA volleyball has definitely changed as well, where it used to be, and it's almost been a complete reversal, where there's been certain years where you look at, for instance, the CCAA national final or the final four, and the average age of, of some of those teams is actually older than some of the Canada West teams, right? And so I really I really wish, and sorry, it's, it's a long-winded answer, but I, I really wish that it, it, it would get sorted out and there would be uh, more student-athletes that would consider going from high school into CCAA, and, that, and that's what we typically typically do. I would rather help somebody know or not yet and have them not be happy than, than take somebody. And I don't believe in, in the concept of an 18th, 19th, 20th guy um, on our team because really what you're saying is, hey, you're waiting. And, and mathematically, it, it, it just doesn't work. You, you cannot get that person quality reps for the for proper development, in my opinion. And if somebody's figured it out, I'll just admit they're a better coach than that. <laughs> now, uh, I am interested with your coaching background, uh, your passion for teaching, uh, and also your sports psychology uh, background. Hopefully you just don't hit me with, well, it depends. But I am curious, when you were coaching at Mount Royal, you, you're a passionate guy about team building. Are you also passionate about, or not passionate, that's not the right choice. How do you approach goal setting? Are you putting it on the whiteboard at the start of the year? We're competing for a national championship or how do you like to pursue that? Because I think through this show, we've had a lot of people being like, yeah, if you don't set your goal as high as possible, it shows you don't believe in yourself. And then there's other people who are like 180 opposite saying, no, the process, I just want to get better today. 1% increments. Like there's, there's a million ways to do it. There's a lot of sports theory for both. I'm curious in your gym, when you had the horses to do it, what was the conversation around winning ACAC and winning nationals? Sure. Sure. So I shouldn't say, well, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, each group's different. You know, it depends. <laughs> I, I think the first thing you actually have to do is, is you, you study your team's personality, to be honest. And, and so as, as every person has their personality, I think you need to spend some time uh, determining your team's personality. And, and every year is different. You can have the same group coming back. I mean, for instance, I really like our group. I really like where we're at. We, we actually only graduate two this year. Um, and at the same time, to, to go, oh, it'll be the same team coming back. That's, that's not true because they're all going to grow. They're going to change. And, and, and as, as, as they evolve, mature, so does the team. And so, so to bring it back, one of the first things I do is I, I don't have a set cookie cutter of, hey, we do it this way every single year. 
what I do is I look at okay, what our personnel is, where I think our personality is, um, where our maturity level is. And, and, and you have to be honest. I mean, when you're goal setting, you have to be very honest. And uh, in terms of what your prospects are and whether, you know, we're talking process goals, whether we're talking outcome goals. Um, I think a lot of times, and I, and I probably did it early, if you ask, you know, you do goal setting, you know, in the first week, well, just what everybody's going to start talking about, hey, well, we're pursuing a national championship. When, when the reality is, is for, for a number of teams, that might not be the most realistic goal, right? I mean, it's, it's something, yes, we should, we should be shooting for, you know, to, to, you know, John Wooden's definition of success, and I'm paraphrasing, is essentially, you know, pursuing your potential. Right? And as close as you can get to your potential is, and again, his, his, his answer is far more well thought out and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so with a more mature team, once we get into things, once we actually have a look, then we will. We will sit down and, and, and talk about goals right? And, and what we're trying to achieve. right? And I'm much bigger on, on individual goals right? and, having, and having conversations with the guys and, and giving them the autonomy to, to set forth. And, and once they have an understanding of the team, what they want to achieve, what they want to pursue, right? With, with some of the younger guys, some, you know, the first years, especially if we're talking first years in university, there's so much self-discovery going on there. I mean, for some of them, first time living away from home, uh, university classes, this, you know, especially training at this level is completely different. I mean, Making the jump from high school to club is is big in most cases. I would say that making the jump from club to CCAA is significant. It's actually way bigger than than most people perceive. And then making the jump even from CCAA to Canada West is 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 just as significant. So then all of a sudden, if you have somebody that's in club and they think that no problem, I can make this jump. That first year is trying. It's the best way to put it. Especially, especially if you think about the psychology involved in recruiting, where, where if you have somebody that is, you know, a highly sought after recruit and they're constantly being contacted by, you know, five, six, maybe 10 institutions and they're maybe, maybe being flown out for visits and everybody's talking, essentially pumping their tires and telling them how fantastic they are. And all of a sudden, so they make their decision, they finish grade 12, and two months later, they're in training with the university team. There's a number of guys that are four to five, well, six, seven, maybe years older. And you really are talking boys versus men. And they're now coming in and, and yes, and they've, they've actually been competing um, within their age category. And now they're not competing within their age category. And they're probably giving up, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40 pounds of muscle mass, maybe even more than that, plus all that experience. And so all of a sudden asking that individual to, hey, let's set a bunch of goals. It's, I don't want to say it's a waste of time. Um, I, I think there's better use or allocation of that time and, and in terms of mentorship and bringing them forward. Um, and, and bring them along or what there is, is, is far, far better to spend your time 
making them understand the time commitment involved, making them understand how disciplined they need to be to be academically academically successful, right? Really, really that that transition um, by their third year is when you start seeing them make some some real quality decisions in life. Of course, it's subjective. But. And do you have any advice for younger coaches or heck, even myself or older coaches? How do you walk the balance of having like your core principles, maybe some non-negotiables that like, this is what a Sean Sky team is, but also still giving athlete autonomy where maybe you don't care what track suit they wear on the road, or maybe there's some stuff you let the, the leaders on the team do, but there's also some other, some other things about like, these are like three pillars we have. And like, these are non-negotiable. Like how do you find the balance of everyone has a voice, but you're also the leader and, and the coach drives the bus on the indoor team. So how do you walk that line of being inclusive, but also the leader at the end of the day? Sure. It's, it's an ongoing, um, battle's the wrong word, but, but it's certainly, it, it's, it's an ongoing relationship, right? And, and, and even, even within your relationship with, you know, um, you get the fortune, you get the opportunity of, of spending hopefully five years with the student athlete, but realistically, if we're including the recruiting and everything else where that might be a seven year relationship. And then if it's done properly, actually a lifetime relationship right and and so there is an evolution even within that relationship where i talked about before with with recruiting and, and, and with first and second years and in terms of, of how how you're helping them develop and sometimes that development is is also just just being there because you know they're going to make mistakes you know they're going to screw up right um you know, sometimes people ask me, well, you know, especially if they don't know about, you know, coaching, what they think it is. Um, probably the best way to put put a, this profession, you know, obviously aside from the sport into perspective is if you think about all of the dumb decisions you made between, say, the age of 17 and 23. And then you multiply that by 16, for instance, on our team. You're constantly dealing with that as a coach. And, and, and a lot of times that's help, that's guidance, where there's that knock, you know, on your door going, Hey, coach, can we talk? And that typically means that either the next 20 minutes to two hours to two months of your life got very, very busy in an interesting way with that, with, with helping that individual, helping guide that individual. And so the four principles you have to stay true to. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm massive on the concept of honesty. Right. And, and, you know, there's just, just, just some, some simple basics. But again, if, if we're going to have this kind of a relationship, there has to be just flat out honesty. And I understand that's also going to be tested at times, but you have to have tough conversations and real conversations. And I challenge the guys all the time to have those conversations. Right. I smile when, when, you know, I, I ask the team how it is and, and they respond. Well, it's fantastic. I mean, everybody gets along. Everybody likes each other. And I just laugh. I go, so what you're saying is you guys haven't had any real conversations yet. A number of you are lying to each other. Because again, in, in room 16, there's going to be differences that have been. So, so as those relationships evolve, there certainly is a lot more in common because you also have a, a, a far better understanding of, of who that individual is and they have a better understanding of who you are. And, and that relationship needs, needs to evolve. And so probably the best way to say it is, is, you know, in that first, second year, 
especially when when you're helping them out significantly with their decision making, it is a lot more autocratic. And 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 then if we're talking for sure in their fourth, fifth year, um, it becomes a lot more democratic and becomes a lot more of a all right. Well, what would you like to do? But it's also because you spend a, a lot of time within that relationship building such a strong foundation. Yeah, I like how you, you mentioned like their pathway and they might not figure it out till third, fourth, fifth year. Like I'm wondering in your gym, how do you manage um, lack of a better analogy? Like, you know, what's right for them and you know what's going to happen. But how sometimes there's times you just let them touch the hot stove, right? You know, it's wrong. You see it coming, but you have to let them make that mistake. And then on top of that, because you brought up the age thing, I just read an article on Coach K and he's big on this where sometimes he'll give the fourth or fifth year pass because of the equity they've put into the team where that first year guy needs to learn the lesson right now. So uh, again, I'm trying to maybe to sum it up here. How do you let them make mistakes, even though you know it's wrong? And then how do you manage the the line between sometimes fair doesn't always mean equal, right? Fair, fair does not mean equal, right? We, we actually talk about that where um, if, if, if you're going to treat everybody equal, you're actually not doing what's not right for them. Because, because that's also assuming they all have equal or same backgrounds. That also assumes that they all have the same course load. They all have the same financial needs or find a you know, number in their bank account. They all have the same upbringing. Um, and so, so, so much of this, what we're talking about for sure is judgment. And, and the other thing you have to be willing to do is you're going to make mistakes and you have to be willing to step up and, and say and apologize. And you've got to be open and vulnerable in those situations. And I think, I think some people are hesitant to do it. I think, in all honesty, there's, there's strength in that. It builds trust. Um, and at the same time, like, <laughs> I'm certainly not. Um, nobody's flawless. I don't come close to it. I don't even pretend to. We all make mistakes. And so there, there's an opportunity there to, to show your own accountability. And, and, and then be willing to listen to what they have to say. But it's, yeah, I mean, so much of it is, is I, don't, I don't try at all to be fair. First and second years, there's a lot of learning to do. There's a lot of distractions taking place. So, so you mentioned the hot stove and, and, and yes, I mean, and it, it happens all the time with, with our guys, but that's, that's part of the learning opportunity. Tell our guys this all the time and it's certainly not cliche. I hope it doesn't come across that. I tell them that, I mean, if, if the only thing that they learn within our program is they became a better volleyball player, then I should be fired because, because so much of what we're doing has so much more to do with, with life. And, and I mean, the whole, the whole basis of this, this isn't a professional team. This, this is a university team. They're here for an education. And so, so the team and, 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 and they are student athletes student first, right? And so we have to be a significant part of that learning and, and that experience. And so sometimes that is, and it's tough to watch somebody potentially go down that path and where you know, okay, you know what? The next two weeks, two months, there's certainly going to be some anxiety. But if we're talking about the long-term growth of that individual, you sometimes let them walk down that path. Now, they start walking down a path where where we know it's going to be terminal in the sense that they're no longer going to be with the university or with the program. That's, that's when you try and get in front of them. Right. Um, but that most certainly is, is, is a judgment call. And it's certainly not one I make right all the time or anything. You always strive to, 
to use you use all your coaches and I'm fortunate to have an incredible group of coaches and alumni around me. And so you bounce those concepts off of them and, and, and you have to make tough decisions. And there's so there's some of those decisions keep you up throughout the entire night. But that also is a massive part of what this is if you're really interested in, in investing in people. Now, uh, I'll get us back on the track of the order of the, the uh, questions here, but uh, hopefully we get off the tracks and go down the rabbit hole of coaching here. But uh, the other question I had in my notes here is, what was some of your learning going from CCAA to U Sports? And don't be wrong, I coached CCAA. I think there are some talented athletes and coaches in that league, but I would say the biggest difference I see between U Sports and CCAA is kind of what you mentioned. When you were coaching at McEwen, you had a job and you drove to practice. So the, the resources weren't there. Maybe you don't have the same assistant coaches. Maybe you don't have a budget for volumetrics where now you're coaching in U Sports and you play Larry McKay on Friday and he's going to be in the hotel room and he's watching and he's ready for you Saturday, right? So don't get me wrong, there's a ton of good coaches in the CCAA. I just think the the experience and resources in youth sports sometimes gives them an extra layer there. So was there any learning that you saw uh, taking your team from the CCAA to youth sports in those first few years? Oh, massive, massive and incredibly humbling because, I mean, I was probably almost a decade in coaching post-secondary, so you think you have some things figured out. And you do to a degree. Um, one of the biggest ones was, was that I had to change. And what I mean by that is you go from CCAA where you only have a guy for one, maybe two years. So one of the things that I was never concerned about was, was them becoming tone deaf. So you would constantly push, right? And you would cram as much as you could in there, right? And, and yeah, I mean, you would most certainly, you know, not worry because because odds are that you know you're going to turn over half your roster in a year's time so you do not ever, ever have to worry about something like that and the relationships were far different you know i'm talking about so i was far more autocratic as a, as a coach um but also because i was dealing with i mean the year that we won uh the national championship uh, 11 of our 14 guys were first years right so so i mean you know jay and that crew, Hawkins, they were all first years. So the, the, the amount of stuff, you know, the learning curve involved there and, and, and the amount of stuff that uh, you had to deal with off court. I remember talking to the, the three veterans and exceptional, exceptional group. And some of them, some days they're pulling their hair out. And I would just be like, what are you willing to do to win a national championship? Right. And just constantly reminding them of that. And so then now you go to, to Canada West, you go to U Sports. Well, now, now we're talking about five, seven-year relationships when you talk about recruiting as well. And if if you approach it the same way, my goodness, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to hear me talk from an auto product context for for three years in a row, for sure. And, and and so you do have to have that transition. And then and then the coaching. Um, I mean, there's so many fantastic coaches throughout. Throughout Canada, um, I, I remember, you know, one of one of our first matches against a Grant's Grant squad, um, that Grant normal coach, and I, I just remember smiling and laughing because, and that was that was when Sam Tweevi was there, and and I mean he had he, he always has a strong team, but they're exceptional then, and uh, I remember smiling at one point. This was this wasn't in our first year, but this this was 
This is in the first couple. And just quickly calculating our age. And I think I think we're, our, our starting lineup was about 18 and a half years old. His starting lineup was about 23 and a half, right? And and it was it was over fast, right? And so you you do you start doing the same thing. You start doing the same comparisons. Um, the recruiting involved is most certainly more intense. The program plan is is a lot more intense. The fundraising, right, is is significant, right? It's, it's it becomes a significant portion of of what we're doing because you're no longer doing. Um, you know, Mount Will College, we'd go do exhibition in Red Deer, right? And maybe an hour and a half bus riding off the door, maybe we'd go to Edmonton. Now you're talking flights to, to Vancouver and fundraising flights to Vancouver. Um, so it's like the volleyball itself, yes, you, you need, and it's at a higher level. The recruiting's at a higher level. There's so many of those extras there. And then, and then you, it's constantly against just exceptional coach after exceptional coach, right? And just about everybody is, or everybody is now, a full-time coach rather than being in college. Well, now, thankfully, there are more full-time coaches, but then there wasn't. Hardly anybody was. Nice. And I'm curious, again, with your coaching background and just being a lifelong learner, have you found anything that you read with your sports-like background and you go, oh, this is awesome, I'm going to try it, and it just didn't work out? Because I think there's a ton of good theory out there where even something as awesome and pure as like growth mindset, I think that's awesome. But I'm even finding there's like unintended consequences there because you're telling an athlete, okay, this is going to be a long process. Well, it turns out, Sean, they don't want to be bad at something for six, eight, ten weeks, so they don't have a growth mindset the whole time. They want to be good now where you, you read the literature and you go, oh, this is amazing stuff, right? So uh, I'm curious, is there anything that you were really passionate about the theory and then you got it in the gym and you're kind of like, wow, I need to tweak this. Oh, constantly is quite frankly, do any of us want to, to suck for six or eight <laughs> weeks at anything? Um, no, I, so, so when I first came to Mount Royal, um, again, it was, it was, I was a professor, faculty member and coach and the primary subject I taught for 14 years was sports psychology. And so, so in all honesty, I don't have a definitive, hey, this moment, because honestly, it was constantly ongoing, where there were theoretical concepts in in the classroom that we'd be talking about, and and what I actually started doing with 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 the class, and I honestly, I think it made me a better professor, and and I think it made me a better coach. Was was constantly going back and forth between the theoretical and the practical, and so I'd be I'd be in classes, and I'm like, here's the theory. Right now, I'm going to put my coaching hat on. Here's what I've experienced is the application and, and, and vice versa. And, and you would be constantly trying things, right? Be it goal setting, be it imagery, right? Having, you know, when I, when I first, when I was first here, um, and we didn't have the funds for having a mental training coach. We now, we now do have the funds. We have a phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, sports science team, uh, our, our IST group and Claire Fusters. Um, our mental training coach, he's exceptional. And, but back then you're experimenting with it because you are. And I mean, the one thing when you get into sports psychology, you learn right away is the head coach can also not be in charge of, of mental training. You cannot be. And, and I want to make sure I want to make clear, I'm not a sports psychologist. I have a master's in sports psychology, very different things. But when you talk about, about that application, so what I actually spent a lot of time doing um, rather than going, okay, hey, we're going to go do a classroom session now. 
I worked really hard at how do we cook this into practices and how do we actually integrate um, techniques in there where again, I mean, if it, if, you, if I didn't have my background, it would be really tough to do. And it honestly could be potentially damaging to, to, to some student athletes to just say, hey, I read this somewhere, tried it without actually having formal training in it. Right? Whereas, whereas now, I mean, especially with, with the number of years I've coached, the number of years um, I've taught sports psych, yeah, you, you start to, to go back and forth between, okay, here's the theory. Here's the, here's the conceptual application of it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because funny enough, when I was uh, at the OVA there, I would spend a couple lunches uh, picking Shane's, Shane White's brain there. And we would always talk about how do you connect culture to drills? Because culture isn't just something you put on the wall or you put up on your warm-up shirt. So uh, I'm curious if you could give us an example of what that looks like in your gym where you know culture has some action to it. Sure, sure. I mean, that's actually... One of the things we spent a ton of time on this year, last last year, by, by all accounts, uh, was a disappointing year with our program. And and anytime you know, anytime whether you have success, failure, whatever, you should spend a whole bunch of time um, reflecting on it. And and where that reflection should start, should start in the mirror. And so so we've spent a bunch of time just just looking at the year, and I spent a bunch of time with that. And one of the things that that it really boiled down to after doing exit interviews and talks and spending a bunch of time just, just myself reflecting on it. It was really clear to us that uh, we, we didn't have a real good understanding of, of what our culture standards were. So, so we actually spent uh, a whole bunch of the spring revisiting those and, and to be frank, uh, setting them up pretty much like a rubric and multiple categories across the board, building a Google Sheets doc. Um, about what what our culture should be, and not just what it should be, but then also at the bottom of it, hey, if you're here, this is where you need to leave the program, right? And and and, and just just that whole idea of laying out what we're striving for, what isn't acceptable, and what you know, quite quite frankly, you need to go do something else with your time. And that was great to build, but it's meaningless. Unless there's the discussion and embodiment of it, so we actually spent um, probably the first eight weeks addressing it, right? And we would just take one or two columns at a time, and and have quality conversations about it and how it actually applied um, on court and how it applied in games. And some of those conversations were 100% um, player-led, right? Where one of the columns is is about, for instance, a social life and recovery. Well, they're not going to have an honest conversation about about social life with the head coach sitting in the room. And, and quite frankly, that's a great team building opportunity where they need to go and have that own conversation. And I, I, I still don't know what the results of that were, but that to me is a very team specific thing, especially when you're talking about it, you know, a team having its own identity and its own personality. And, but what was important is, is that they did have that conversation. And they had their own understanding of what was or was not acceptable within it. And so that's one of the biggest things we've, we've been working on is the embodiment of it. But also right down to, hey, like, how should a bench be interacting in a match? Okay? And, and what is the role of it? And, and, and what kind of energy is providing everything else? And so, I mean, that's probably the thing that uh, as a head coach, um, results are great. 
that I'm most thrilled with right now is just how hard um, this 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 year's team and this crew has been working in embodying the culture. Now, in your experience, or if you were put on the spot to give advice to other coaches, is that the best way to do it is just to have an honest conversation and front load it? Because even what you're saying gets tested, right? Because you might have a talented middle like Lewis Lang, and he comes back to the national team and he says, hey, coach, they want me to hit this this gap offense, but we don't run the same gap offense. Or in, in our example, Jacob Van Giel, who's in his off season from you, is training full time on the beach with me. So he might come back to Mount Royal and be like, coach, I need 10 days off at the start of the season. And you're going, no, it's our preseason we're ramping up. So how do you kind of mix in those goals where they have individual or lack of a better term, like selfish goals? And how do you build that back into your seasonal plan and your team goals? Sure. Well, and that comes back to that concept of you're not trying to be equal. You're working at being fair. Right. And, 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 and the best way to do that is just be fully transparent to, to have those individual conversations, but then also address the entire team, right? Through the front door. Here's, here's what's happening with such and such. Right. Provided it's not of, of a real personal nature and whatnot. To, to me, the, the analogy I've given, I actually gave the guys this this year and continue to, it's not the first time, is I was looking at culture like a garden. You actually have to do a lot of work. If you want to have a really nice garden, you've got to do a lot of work at, at, at the start of it to build it up, to, to set it up the way you want it. And at any point, if anybody's ever done any gardening, and I, I don't best too, but there's there's certainly a um if you walk away from that garden and leave it for two weeks, you do come back and you're gonna find weeds. It doesn't matter how fantastic a shape you left it in. And so what it actually requires is constant tending to. And so so I mean a phenomenal moment um, earlier in the year because it's human nature to test. It's human nature. I mean that's why I'm not a huge believer in just having endless rules because they're all going to be tested, right? I mean, I, I love stealing, for instance, from, from Coach K, where one of his rules is don't embarrass the team because it's very much all-encompassing, right, in terms of the different ways you can apply it. Now, I'll get back, back to this garden analogy. That's our culture. It needs to be constantly tended to. And it's not just your captains that have to tend to it. And it is going to be tested. And, and it's more important how the guys react, like you have to react, but how the guys react to that. And so, so we did. We had earlier in the year, we had a couple guys that um, wasn't purposeful, but but the culture was tested a little bit, and it needed to be addressed. And, and what I loved about it is they actually dealt with it themselves. And I actually got a text from from, from two of them leading it, and they just sent me a text, and it was titled, entitled "Weed Control," and they were just taking care of it themselves, right? And they had laid out. How it was going to be dressed and, and what was going to be done about, and, and and I mean, and that's where it was a good sign of okay, our culture is headed in the right direction. But now to all of a sudden just assume because we've got some results, it's in a great spot. It doesn't work. That that, that you have to just constantly attend to it daily. Well said. Thank you so much for everything you've shared. Like I said at the beginning, I probably took too long to get you on the show. And now I feel like we're gonna have to get you back on the show because there's still more more stories and more stuff to talk about here. But uh, I've taken enough time for now. But uh, one thing we like to do on the show just to close it out is tell a funny or unique story. So you've dedicated your whole professional life to being a volleyball coach, but I imagine something odd or funny must have happened along the way. So it's hoping you could share one more story before we let you go. Sure, sure. I mean, yes, a number. Um... 
I'll bring it back to the start, right? And so our first provincial team I ever coached was uh, was with Shane White. And, and, and as mentioned, I mean, two 21, 22-year-olds coaching together. Let's just say that uh, Volleyball Alberta's list of things we need to improve on change was a lot more substantial than, uh, than, than probably the things they liked. And so there's, there was two instances there. So we were actually in Kelowna for back then with provincial team. You had uh, your Western provincial team um, tournaments and whatnot. So there's the four Western provinces. And, and, and to give anybody context of how long ago this was, um, Fred Winters was U16. Rock Davidek was U15. Um, we're, we're out there coaching. Yep. And I think we have a fairly good team. But again, we're, we're talking about two young coaches. We, uh, the two parts of it were in, we're in, I think it was the quarterfinal. We're playing uh, Saskatchewan. I think we were down one or two sets right off the start. I turned to Shane, and if anybody knows Shane, he can be uh, fairly quick-witted, if you will, with things. And, and I turned to him, I go, you know, you got any advice here? And he just, just snaps back and he goes, yeah, if you don't get this figured out fast, this is going to be the two shortest coaching careers ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did manage to, uh, to take care of uh, recover. We, we ended up in the final. And, and again, to a degree, kids coaching kids here. And I'm sure there is grainy video of this somewhere. And so we're in the final and he approaches me before the final and goes, um, just so you know, I, I made a bet. I'm a man of my word. And, and so and I'm like, what did you do? And here, and there's somewhere there's grainy video of, of us walking out this final. And I probably have my head down shaking it because, because he had made a bet with our captain that if we made the final, that he would, uh, we had, hotel we've been at um he'd been in the pool and one of the guys had had this fluorescent orange inflatable pool chair that went in the water and the bet was that if we made the final that is what he would sit on during the final so literally there's somewhere there's video of us walking out him carrying this massive inflatable orange um pool chair and then going over to the officials and and discussing whether it would be appropriate enough and somehow they actually approved of it and uh, lo and behold, I'm sure that was for sure on Bob Alberta's list of all the different things and means that we need to improve on. It's just, here it wasn't, especially this was back when the benches were massive and they were wooden. So I'm on one end of the bench because the head coach had to be there. And he's at the very end of it on this inflatable fluorescent orange chair. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned there may be video of this because I think every current and alumni of the Waterloo Warriors program is going to be looking for it as soon as they hear this. <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. Thanks for giving us a peek behind the curtain into your philosophy and all the things you've accomplished through your career. And like I said, MRU is off to a hot start. So I'm glad you could make the time and share all that you did. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.